On March 24th, 2015, German Wings Flight 9525 crashed in the French Alps, killing all 150 souls on board. There was a Swedish soccer team that was supposed to be on the plane that day, but at the last second, they switched their team to different flights to avoid a long layover. Team management decided at the last minute to split their team up and put them on three different planes, not knowing it was gonna be a life-saving decision. We were supposed to be on that plane, the team's director told the media after hearing about the plane crash. He goes on to say there were four planes all left at the same time, all flying over the French Alps. We had team members on three of them. You could say we were very, very lucky. Well, Christians wouldn't say they were lucky. Christians would hear this story and say, God is good, isn't he? We would share that bad boy on social media. Soccer team saved, divine intervention. God is good. There are these crazy stories from September 11, 2001 of people being a little late to work on that Tuesday morning and it saved their life. The chef at the restaurant at the World Trade Center on that Tuesday, on that Tuesday morning, he stopped on the way to work to purchase eyeglasses and he arrived 15 minutes later than usual, saving his life. God is so good, isn't he? There was a man that went back to his hotel after breakfast to change his shirt because it didn't match his tie. He was late to work that day and it saved his life. God is so good, isn't he? We say God is good all the time as Christians. New promotion at work, new baby on the way. My team won the big game. The car behind me looks like it's gonna hit me, but it stops just in time. What the doctor thought was a tumor was nothing at all. God is so good. God is so good. God is so good, isn't he? But the reality is on March 24, 2015, even though an entire Swedish soccer team was saved, 150 people died in a horrible plane crash. That's 150 families that tragically lost a loved one in a plane crash in the French Alps. 150 funerals. God is still good, isn't he? Even though the World Trade Center chef and the guy that went back to change his shirt were spared, 2,977 people lost their life on that horrible Tuesday in September. God is still good, isn't he? Or is he not good when bad things happen? Because you and I both know bad things happen. Sometimes we don't get the promotion at work. We actually lose our job. Sometimes, most of the time for me as a Gamecock fan, our team doesn't win the big game. We don't even play in big games. Sometimes pregnancy doesn't come easy or it doesn't come at all. Sometimes the car behind you doesn't stop in time and it plows right into the back of you. Sometimes the tumor doesn't magically go away. Is God not good when bad things happen? Is God having a bad day? Is he lacking in his goodness? I wanna make the argument this morning that our view of God's goodness might be too shallow. I think it would be very normal for most of us to say, God is good when life is good. But for us to question and doubt his goodness when life isn't going so hot, 
But the truth is God is always good. Psalm 119, 68 declares this truth when the psalmist says, you are good and what you do is good. God doesn't just do good things. His very nature is good. His character is good. At the core of who he is, he's good. There's nothing bad in him. There's nothing bad about him. He doesn't make bad decisions. He doesn't have bad days. He's absolutely good. Anything and everything that is good comes from him. James 1, 17 says every good and perfect gift, not some of them, not a few of them, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. You won't find something good in life where God is not involved. He's the only one that is truly good and everything he does is good. If you wanna get really corny with it, you can't spell the word good without the letters G-O-D. I don't know what the circumstances of your life are like. Maybe life is good and things are rolling. Or maybe life is not so good and it seems to keep knocking you down. Either way, I think it's gonna be worth our time this morning to take a deep dive into the goodness of God. And so we've got five quick truths of God's goodness. They all start with D. I made a lot of D's in college. <laughs> D's get degrees. So here we go. You might wanna jot these down. You might wanna put them in the notes section of your phone. Number one, God's goodness is displayed in creation. God's goodness is displayed in creation. His goodness burst onto the scene in the fourth verse of the Bible. The earth was formless and it was empty and it was dark. God says, let there be light and boom, there's light. And God saw that the light was what? Good. Then he creates the sky and the oceans and the dry land and he saw all of that was good. And then he creates plants and trees. He creates the moon and the sun and the stars and all of the animals pelicans and zebras and camels, elephants, giraffes, eagles, sharks, jellyfish, granddaddy long-legged spiders, grasshoppers. Then he makes man and he makes woman in his very own image. And in verse 31, in the very first chapter of the Bible, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Creation displays his goodness. How good was he to create you? When you were like the earth, formless and empty, he began his work in you. He began his work on you. Psalm 139, Job 10, Jeremiah 1, all speak to God, forming you, knitting you together in your mother's womb, making you exactly how he wanted to make you. He does not make mistakes. And he doesn't just create you randomly. He creates you with a specific gift for a specific purpose. He wants to actually use you to accomplish things for him with your life. Why? Because he's good. His creation displays his goodness. Number two, God's goodness drives us back to him. God's goodness drives us back to him. His goodness doesn't just stop when he creates us. It continues throughout our life and it drives us, it turns us back towards him. And so we always hear the question, why does a good God allow bad things to happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? And those are fair questions. We're gonna deal with that here in just a minute. But what about this question? Why does God let good things happen to bad people? Just think about the common goodness that God gives people. Think about the people that hate God. 
They mock him. They curse him. They rebel against him, openly against God. He allows them to breathe. How good is that? You don't have to be a Christian to breathe. You don't have to be a Christian to enjoy the rain or the warm sunshine or a cool breeze or a mountain view or to sit on the ocean and watch the waves crash. You don't have to believe in God to see all of that and experience all of that. God is good. Think about how many chances and how much time he gives people to respond to his goodness. I remember being at a fellowship of Christian athletes rally as a sophomore in high school, the night I gave my life to Jesus. I was running another way. I wasn't following him. I was chasing my own life, my own desires. It was only God's grace and God's goodness that I didn't die as a freshman in high school. He was patient with me. He was good to me, giving me time to respond to him, even though I wasn't even chasing him. And he does the same for you. Romans 2.4, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? His kindness, his goodness is intended to turn you from your sin and drive you back towards him. He watches people he created, sin and sin and sin. Why is he so good to them? Why is he so good to us? Spurgeon says God's goodness to sinners isn't to encourage them to keep on sinning. It's to win them and woo them away from their sin. Here's a great question for us to consider together this morning. Do you find yourself amazed by God's goodness in your life? Or do you find yourself demanding God's goodness in your life? When R.C. Sproul was in his second year of teaching, he had 250 freshmen in an Old Testament class. He told the class, all 250 of them, that they would have papers due on the 30th of each month. He said, your first paper's due September 30th, your next one's due October 30th, and your third one is due November 30th. And he says, you will get an F if they're not on time. Unless you have a death in the immediate family or unless you're confined to a hospital, you will get an F. Does everybody understand? Everybody says, yes. We understand. So September 30th comes and 25 of the 250 freshmen come in trembling. Oh, Professor Sproul, we didn't budget our time very well. We haven't made the transition yet from high school to college. Please don't give us enough. Give us a few more days to finish. And so Professor Sproul says, fine, take a few more days, but don't let it happen again. So a month goes by and October 30th comes and now 50 of the 250 students don't have their paper done. Oh, Professor Sproul, it's homecoming week. We've got all these other assignments in these other classes. Please give us some more time. And he says, okay, you have a few more days, but this is the last time I'm doing this. He said, the students were singing his praises. Oh, we love you, Professor Sproul. He said, I was the most popular professor on that campus. Then November 30th rolls around, third paper's due. 150 of the 250 don't have their papers finished. He said they walked in as cool and casual as could be. So he starts calling out names. Johnson, do you have your paper? Don't worry about it, professor. I'll get it to you in a few days. 
The professor picked up his little black grade book. He opened it and he said, F, and he wrote an F in the grade book. He said, Nicholson, do you have your term paper? No, F. Jenkins, where's your term paper? I don't have it. F, and then someone in the crowd shouts, that's not fair. Professor Sproul turned around and said, Fitzgerald, was that you that just screamed out, that's not fair? Yes, sir, this is not fair. Okay, Fitzgerald, I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. If it's justice you want, it's justice you'll get. You were one of the ones that turned it in late on October. So I'm gonna go back to October and change that grade to an F. If it's justice you want, it's justice you'll get. Who else wants justice? The first time the students got an extension on their paper, they were amazed by the goodness of the professor. The second time they were used to it. And the third time they practically demanded goodness from the professor. God's goodness is not for us to take advantage of. His goodness is not to be taken for granted. His goodness is not for us to act like he just winks at us when we sin, like keep on going. Romans 2, 4, don't you see how good he is? Does it mean nothing to you? Can't you see his goodness, his patience, his kindness, his tolerance is intended for you to turn away from your sin and back to him. Number three, God's goodness draws closer than life's storms. God's goodness draws closer than life's storms. We know life has storms. We know bad things happen. We know we live in a fallen, sinful world. We have troubles, we have trials, we have tragedy, and we don't understand why things happen. How do we reconcile a good God with the bad things that happen in life? Tony Evans is one of my favorite pastors. He lost his niece recently. His niece was 38 years old and had four young daughters and a husband that she left behind. A tragedy. And so Tony Evans is being asked by his own children who just lost their cousin, why? Why does a good God allow something like this to happen? And Dr. Evans, in really only a way that I think he can do, he answered with a, very, with a few very simple truths. He said, if you get rid of God, you still have your problems. If you can somehow dismiss God, if you can somehow leave God, if you can somehow get rid of God, you still got your trouble. You still got your tragedy. You still got your trials. You still got your suffering. You haven't solved your problems by leaving him. He said the disciples faced the same thing. <laughs> Jesus is doing a teaching, giving a teaching that they don't understand. It's over their heads. They don't get it. And so some of the disciples start to leave and they desert Jesus. And Jesus looks at his 12 disciples and he says, well, are you guys gonna leave too? And Peter has a great response. He said, where else would we go? You have the words to eternal life. Who else would we run to? Tony Evans said two weeks before his niece died, another friend of his died. He was on the table, pronounced dead. The family is grieving and the family is sorrowing and the guy twitches on the table. It's like this real life Lazarus moment. And to make a long story short, he's walking around. He's living. So Dr. Evans said, when I walked into the room with my niece and she was passed away and she was pronounced dead, you know what I did? I said, God, do it again. Do it again. 
He said, but God didn't do it again. And he concluded by saying this. He said, if I know God's in control, if I know he's sovereign, if I know that evil has to pass through his fingers before it can get to me, if I know that every bad thing that happens in my life is father filtered, then I have to trust him. If I know he's powerful enough to fix my problem, if he can raise the dead back to life, he's powerful enough to fix my problem and he doesn't, I've got to trust him that he knows what he's doing, that he's working all things for my good, even when I don't understand. Where else would we go? And his goodness will draw closer to you than any storm or any tragedy or any trouble. Scripture is full of is full of these promises. He offers you a peace that surpasses all understanding and guards your heart and your mind. Philippians 4, he is your refuge and your strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. Psalm 46, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Deuteronomy 31, he is working all things for good for those that love him. Romans 8, oftentimes what other people mean for evil, God means for good. Genesis 50. God is good when the Swedish soccer team is spared and God is good when the plane goes down. He's good when you get a promotion and he is good when you lose your job. God is good when you avoid the wreck and he's good when the other car plows into you. He's good when the tumor shows up on the scan and he's good when it goes away. He's good when your team wins and he's good when your team loses. In the article I read this week, Sarah Thabard says this, we have got to stop only talking about God's goodness when a pleasant thing happens. <laughs> We've got to stop just flippantly saying God is good when the parking spot at Target opens up for you at the last minute. God is good. He's so much more than that. She says God's goodness is not dependent on an outcome. It's not dependent on an emotion of us feeling good. It's not de dependent on a barely missed doom story like September 11th or the French Alps. God is good all the time and all the time God is good. Even when we can't understand it, God is good when we don't feel good. God is good when life isn't good. And so I don't have a great answer for why Bad things happen. What I do know is that God offers us his goodness in the midst of life storms. Where else would we go? Number four, God's goodness is demonstrated on the cross. God's goodness is demonstrated on the cross. A lady in Spain made the news in a very unique way because she wanted to test her husband's goodness. So with the help of a friend, she fakes her own kidnapping and sends a ransom note to her husband. When the police discovered that this was a hoax, they asked the lady, why did you do this? And this is what she said. I wanted to find out what my husband would do for me. You don't ever have to ask that of God. You don't ever have to test his goodness. You don't, ever, you don't ever have to ask, what would he do for you? You don't ever have to ask, how far would he go to ransom me back? His goodness is demonstrated to you on the cross. If anyone knows about 
life's storms and suffering and trials and troubles. It's Jesus, the best man that ever walked, that ever set foot on this planet, was beaten with whips that had metal shards in them. People spit on him. They mocked him. They hurled insults at him. They drove nails in his hands. They drove nails in his feet. Talk about unfair. Talk about bad things happening to good people. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we might be made right with God. Has anyone in your life ever come anywhere close to doing something that good for you? So when you begin to doubt the goodness of God in your life, Think about the cross. Think about what God did out of his goodness for you. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. He paid a significant price for you to have peace with him. His goodness is fully demonstrated on the cross. Number five, last one. And this one gives us a ton of hope this morning. God's goodness is the delight of heaven. His goodness is the delight of heaven. This is the hope that we cling to, that no matter what life brings, no matter how hard my life gets, no matter how severe the storm is, how hard the trial is, no matter how bad the trouble is in my life, no matter how many times life knocks me down, we know this life is short. This isn't it. This life is a vapor. It's a mist. Here today, gone tomorrow but not God's goodness. God's goodness is here to stay. His goodness is to be enjoyed for all of eternity. Revelation 21, verse three and five. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Anything not good is gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. No car wrecks, no hospital waiting rooms. No intensive care units, no headaches, no cancer, no more hospice, no plane crashes, no dementia, no sickness, no suffering, no addictions, no lust, no stealing, no lying, no murdering, no gossip, no death, no sorrow, no grieving, no tragedy, no more crying ever, no more crying, no more pain, just God's goodness to be enjoyed and to be delighted in forever. This morning, we barely scratched the surface of how deep God's goodness is. I hope you were reminded this morning that God is good all of the time, not just when we feel good, not just when good things happen to us. His goodness is deeper than that. His goodness is displayed in creation. His goodness drives us back towards him and away from our sin. His goodness draws closer than any storm or tragedy or trouble or trial ever could. His goodness was demonstrated on the cross and his goodness will be enjoyed forever in heaven. 
So how do we apply this this morning? How do we respond? I think his goodness demands a response. And I think there are really two easy ways this morning. Number one, the first response to God's goodness is thankfulness. And so hopefully with this being the week of Thanksgiving, you've taken some time to think about the ways God has blessed you. If you haven't, today would be a great day to do that. Maybe a, a, a thankful journal where you just write down some things that God has blessed you with. Maybe even focusing on the things that you take for granted the other 364 days out of the year. Secondly, this is the one that really stands out to me this morning. Here's the question to, to wrestle with as it relates to his goodness. Does his goodness mean anything to you? Romans 2, 4, can you see his goodness is intended to turn you away from your sin? What is that sin for you this morning? What's the sin issue that God wants to turn you from today? Maybe you've been struggling with this sin for a while. It could be lust, it could be sexual sin, it could be pride, it could be anger, it could be gossip, addiction, it could be lying, it could be almost anything. But God has been so patient with you. He's been so kind to you. He's been so good to you. He's been so tolerant with you. Does that mean anything to you? He's trying to turn you. He's trying to win you. He's trying to woo you away from your sin and back to him. Today would be a great day to get that sin out of the dark of your life and into the light. We could help you do that. Fill out a connect card. Let us know how we can pray for you. Maybe it's just between you and the Lord. And you could do that now. Let's pray together. Lord, I think about your goodness, and I think about how I have viewed it so shallow that when good things happen, that must mean you are good. And when bad things happen, I don't really have an answer for that. Yet your word reminds us that you are good all the time. You've demonstrated that for us. We'll get to experience that in eternity. You offer your goodness to us in spite of the troubles and trials and suffering that we deal with. And so we stop this morning and we thank you for that. We thank you for your goodness. And we say, yes, it does mean something to us. We wanna to respond to it. I don't know what that looks like for folks this morning to respond to your goodness, but I pray that they would. And that we would help them. It's in your great name that we pray this morning. Amen.